You're going where? You're doing what? Are you crazy, Aunt Tam? Make sure you subscribe. Welcome to Many Roads Traveled. I'm Tamara, and I have one question for you. Do you love to travel? Awesome! Well, then I invite you to join me on my 30,000-mile road trip from Paris to Cape Town back to Nairobi. One more thing. We'll be traveling back in time to 1993 before the internet, Google Maps, and cell phones. However, not to worry because I do give you up-to-date info on each episode. Plus, you can always find more information on my website, manyroadstravel.com. So without further ado, let's hit the road. Okay, so it's episode 55. And on today's episode, well, it's pretty much all about my hitching in South Africa, as well as Swaziland, which is now known as it's Eswata, I don't even know how to say it, uh, Eswatini. <laughs> so I'm just going to stick with Swaziland. <laughs> and honestly, I, I think my guardian angels were definitely on my side during this episode because it was just amazing. <laughs> I'm also covering about uh, 550 miles. That's going to take us now up to 26,650 miles so far. As you can tell, I'm on the back end, on my way back up to Nairobi. So it's around day 428, roughly. It's early March 94, and I left January 17th, 93. So obviously, we're going back in time before the internet, cell phones, Google Maps, all that stuff. And I didn't even have a guidebook, <laughs> so I was literally winging it. <laughs> And like I said, I was, my plan was to hitch by myself back from Durban, South Africa, back up to, to Nairobi, you know, at least as much as I could. So we're going to pick up where we left off last episode. So if you haven't heard that, or this is your first episode, then yeah, please come along, watch, you know, listen from the first episode and join the trip the whole way through. Because there is a lot of crazy adventures and God knows how I'm still alive, <laughs> but I am. Okay, so as I said, we're picking up from last episode. So a guy who owned a hostel I was staying in Johannesburg, he was able to put my money transfer that I had sent over from Canada, which for some reason went to Cape Town instead of Joburg. I was able to put it in his bank account and then he was able to take out the money and give it to me. So at least I finally had some money in my pocket again, which was great. Uh, and he also dropped me off kind of on the highway to like outside of Joburg, so easier for hitching. My first ride was with a bit of a slime dog, which, you know, that happens. <laughs> but luckily, it was only a short ride, and he took me to a town called Batoni. But then things just got better and better, basically, as the next few days unfolded. So when, from Batoni, I got picked up by two young Afrikaans guys, really sweet, and they ended up buying me lunch, which was great. <laughs> I'm always up for freebies. <laughs> And then literally as they were dropping me off, this other car pulled over like literally two minutes later and offered me a ride. And they were two older Afrikaans guys who happened to be ex-cops. They were called Opie and Charles. And really lovely guys. So literally as soon as I got in the, like I was in the backseat of the car, got in there, they handed me a cold beer. <laughs> I was like, ex-cops, okay, drinking and driving. <laughs> Awesome. Um, I mean, the driver wasn't drinking, so at least that was good. 
And yeah, so we ended up chatting away and they're going to nail sprint, which is kind of the way I was going. They, you know, eventually asked, oh, well, where are you staying? We'll drop you off there. And I was like, I have no idea. I haven't booked anything. I have no clue. <laughs> Just hopefully find a campground somewhere or a cheap hostel. And they were like, well, listen, we've booked like two hotel rooms. Uh, you can have one of the hotel rooms and we'll just share the other one. I was like, what? They're like, yeah, it's on bus- It's a business account. We're not even paying for it anyways. No problem. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so on our way to the hotel, they picked up a bucket of KFC chicken and a bottle of vodka and some mixers. And we checked in and yeah, I got my own room. Their other room was next door, obviously, and it was hilarious because they were really big guys. Like, I would say close to 300 pounds easily, each of them. And when we got into our rooms, it was just like one queen size or maybe king size bed. So they had to share a bed in order to give me the the other room. (laughs) So I found that quite funny. (laughs) Like two big Afrikaan guys cuddle up together in bed. So we just kind of watched TV and chatted, played, I think we played some cards and just drank that bottle of vodka and ate all the chicken. And, you know, as usual, or of course, you know, they kind of tried it on slightly, you know, flirting and everything. And I was just like, nope. (laughs) You guys enjoy your night together. I'm going to definitely enjoy my super nice hotel room. Then the next morning, and it was so nice. Like, it was like, oh my gosh, I actually have a proper hotel room. Because, you know, I've been staying in hostels, except for staying when I stayed at my uncle's for six weeks in Durban. You know, it was either camping or, you know, cheap hostels or literally like prison rooms that look like concrete cells with just a single cot in them. So this was luxury. You know, my own queen size bed, TV, air conditioning. It was awesome. Next morning, met the guys for breakfast, and it was an all-you-can-eat breakfast buffet included. <laughs> so I'm like, this is sweet. Yeah, and they drove me to a Babberton Road, so kind of, again, like the highway slash main road. <laughs> and I got picked up almost right away again, and they took me to to actually Babberton, the town. Then I only waited about 15 minutes, and then got picked up again by another guy, and then he took me to... Uh, then he took me like through the high veld, which is absolutely beautiful. So like the mountains, stunning. And he kind of took me to the top of there and he was going in different directions. So I was waiting at the top of these mountains, which is fine. is beautiful. Which I only had to wait about 15 minutes. Then got another ride to Pig's Peak, which is a great name. Pig's Peak, Swaziland. Awesome. <laughs> oh, so of course I crossed through the border to Swaziland. No problem. And it was now country number 28 on this trip and my 19th African country and then managed to get a ride to Pig's Peak. Didn't wait there for very long and then got picked up by this lovely man called Alan and he was like, well, I'm going to Manny if you want to come. And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. I said, but I do have to go to the capital in Mabon to apply for my Mozambique visa. And he's like, okay, I'll take you there. I was like, okay. Unfortunately, by the time we got to the Mozambique embassy, we'd missed it by 10 minutes. So it closed for lunch, I guess. So they said, okay, come back in an hour and, uh, you know, you can apply then. So Alan was like, well, do you want to go grab a beer? I was like, sure, that sounds great. So we went to this, you know, bar and had a couple of beers and chatted. And he's a really nice guy. And then we went back to the embassy. Had to wait for half an hour because honestly, the people who work at, I mean, not all of them, but many, especially in Africa, <laughs> who 
worked in these embassies or customs and things like that. Just power tripped so much. It drove me absolutely bonkers. Because then after waiting half an hour, they're like, no, we're closed for the day. It's like, why not tell us the first time we were here that, you know, I had to come back in the morning. And then we come back and then you make us wait half an hour and then tell us, no, come back tomorrow. Like, that's what I mean. It's just so annoying and a waste of time. And also, like, Alan was doing me this huge favor and I've taken wasted an hour and a half of his time as well. So he's like, don't worry about it. You know, I can take you back here tomorrow because my wife's in pig pig in the hospital. So I'm kind of going back and forth every day and you go through Imbaban to get to pig's pig for Manzini. So then he was like, oh, where are you staying in Manzini? And I was like, oh, I don't know. I'll find somewhere. And he's like, well, you can stay at my house. I've got like a big three, four bedroom house and I'm the only one there. Okay, that sounds great. You do have to listen to your gut on these things, but so far so good. I was like, okay, give it a go. Really lovely house. And then he was like, well, do you want to go out for dinner tonight? I was like, sure. So we went to this club he belonged to and had a really nice dinner, had some prawns and I think we shared a bottle of wine chatted loads and I mean he was probably in his 40s and I at the time I was 24 so you know big age gap <laughs> the South African guys too were in their 40s so I don't know I guess they just like the young girls right well, what older men don't the <laughs> <laughs> basically just went back to his house and I had my room obviously and you know I closed my door and what I used to always do is I had like a metal water bottle so whether I, wherever I stayed, I'd always put that on the other side of the door. So if someone tried to come in, they would knock over and I'd hear it and I'd wake up. And then I usually had my knife, <laughs> my six-inch blade knife, very close at hand too. I mean, you know, not so much in houses and things like that, but definitely hostels and camping. Yeah, that I never had to use it, but my uncle gave it to me before I left. And it just kind of gave me a peace of mind, not that I'd ever want to use it, but it, it just, it was there if I needed it kind of thing. I'm not up for violence or anything like that, but sometimes you just have to protect yourself, right? Especially as a solo female traveler. Not that I'm advocating carrying six-inch blades. I probably couldn't even do that now. <laughs> Customs, but I didn't have a problem traveling everywhere I did with it. So I'm sure that has changed. But I remember just thinking, okay, like I am having so much good luck lately. Like I'm going to get shot in, in Mozambique or something bad's going to happen <laughs> because that's how it works, you know? The highs are followed by the lows and vice versa. So I was like, yep, definitely going to get shot Mozambique. <laughs> Anyways, the next morning, Alan made me breakfast. And then he drove, yeah, he drove me to the, back to Imamon, to the Mozambique embassy, dropped me off because he was going to the hospital. I was like, yep, that's cool. So I managed to get my visa, which was no problem. And I'd have to come and pick it up. Uh, in a few days, because I think it was like Friday now, so I had to come back on Monday to pick it up. So I managed to hitch back down to Manzini because Alan had given me keys to his house. I <laughs> said so I could stay there as long as I needed to. So while I'm, I'm hitching back from Imabon to Manzini, I get picked up. Like this Mercedes, brand new Mercedes pulls over. I mean, these roads are pretty bad. They're dirt roads, potholes everywhere, right? Anyways, this Mercedes pulls over and this guy's like, do you want to ride? I we're like, where are you going? I was like, oh, I'm going to Manzini. He's like, oh, that's where I'm going to. Hop in. So this guy was called Peter and he was from Boston in the States. And we started talking and everything. And then I find out like he's a multimillionaire. <laughs> he had shares in a very well-known international donut store. 
and also wineries and things like that. And basically, he was there to open up this donut stores franchise in Manzini in in Swaziland. I was just like, what? (laughs) This is crazy. I'm definitely getting shot in Mozambique. (laughs) So anyways, we go back to Manzini. He's like, well, what do you want to hang out for the afternoon? I was like, yeah, sure. So we went to his hotel, which was the nicest hotel in all of Manzini, which isn't saying much, but it did have a pool and, you know, maid servers and things like that. Yeah, we just were hanging by the pool and he had like a box of Cuban cigars. Like there were 50 US dollars per cigar back in 1994. So like the top of the range. And he's like, oh, do you want one? I was like, yes, I do. So we had a few drinks and chatting away and everything. And then he was like, well, how long are you going to be in Swaziland for? And I was like, well, it's probably till Monday because I get my visa and then I'm heading to Mozambique. He was like, well, why don't you stay longer? It's also my birthday in a week's time. I was like, no, I got to get going. You know, I've been on the road now for 16 months and I want to get up to Nairobi and then I'm moving to England and. He was like, well, I really, really like your company, and what would it take for you to stay? He goes, I can write you a blank check. I was like, well, what do you mean to stay? (laughs) So he's basically giving me a pretty woman offer. I was just like, what? And he's like, well, I mean, like, stay with me at nighttime, too. And I I was like, well, um, let me just think about that for a minute. Because I didn't have a lot of money. I had a few, I don't know, maybe 500 bucks, $600, not including my flight back. So I could, I had my money for my flight back separate. And then, but I still had to get up to Nairobi and I was thinking about it. I like, I mean, he was an all right guy. He was a short Jewish guy, <laughs> like a bit chubby, probably in his late 40s, 50. And I was just like, um, you know what? Because we had been talking and he was telling me how lonely it was to actually be a millionaire because you never knew what people wanted from you. If they just wanted you for your money or for business things or whatever, right? Business deals. And yeah, he was he was a very lonely guy. He was recently divorced. His money, his wife was trying to get every penny out of him. He had two sons who were around my age who didn't really have anything to do with them. They're just waiting for him to die to inherit his money. So, yeah, he was really, really lonely guy. So after thinking about it for about, I don't know, 10 minutes or so, I was like, you know what, Peter, I think you need a friend and I'll be your friend and I'm happy to hang out with you as long as I'm here. But let's just be friends kind of thing. And honestly, he almost started crying. Like he was like, wow, well, that's actually one of the nicest things anyone's ever said to me. (laughs) I was like, what? (laughs) That's crazy. He's like, okay, that's fair enough, right? And then we'd like watch a movie in his hotel room or anything like that. And of course, he would still continuously over the next few days flirt with me and stuff like that. But he didn't, you know, wasn't nothing I could handle or it wasn't too full on kind of thing. So I would leave around, you know, six, seven o'clock at night when I'd hear the, when I'd hear a knock on the door and that would be his prostitute. (laughs) So I would say goodbye and let her in and see him the next day, basically. (laughs) just so bizarre and then i go back to alan's house <laughs> the guy i met the, you know the day before you know giving me his house basically it was crazy because like i said he would be at the hospital with his wife almost all day right so then i get back to alan's house and that night like he kind of 
was going on about how lonely he was and he hasn't had sex with his wife for three months because she just had a hysterectomy and all this stuff. And he's finding it difficult being with such a young, beautiful woman in his house and blah, blah, blah. You know, just kind of left it open. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> this is getting a little bit crazy now. <laughs> and I kind of politely was like, yeah, I'm not interested. And just wait for your wife. She'll be healed up in no time. So it was kind of getting a little bit awkward. And then on the the next day, he said he had friends coming to to visit him. So if I could find somewhere else to stay that night, he'd appreciate that. And I was like, yeah, of course, it's your house, man. So I went back to Peter's hotel. And it was hilarious because even if Peter wasn't there, if I went to the hotel, like he told all the staff, just anything I ate or drank, whatever, like, and I could swim in the pool, just put it on his tab. So that's what I was doing. I pretty much hung out at his hotel the whole time. <laughs> Why wouldn't I? <laughs> so then he got back and I said, Oh, Alan's asked me to leave for the night because he's got company. So can I just sleep in your, like, in the other bed in your room? And he was, like, being a bit of a dick about it. <laughs> and then he finally said, okay. So did that. And, you know, kept his hands to himself. <laughs> he was fine. I mean, there was two beds, so it was, it was okay. Didn't luckily get a prostitute in that night because that would have been really awkward. And then the next day I went back to Alan's. Like later on that day, and he was starting like he's like, "Where have you been this whole time?" And I, and I was like, "Well, with this other guy, bitch, I came <laughs> at his hotel." And Alice started getting really jealous, and it was just weird. And I was like, "You know what?" It was Monday the next day, like so it was Sunday. So Monday the next day, I was getting my Mozambique visa. Anyways, I was like, "Okay, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna be leaving tomorrow. If you're going up that way, that'd be like, it'd be great if you can give me a ride to Imabon." So he did do that, and I brought all my stuff with me, and I was like, okay, well, thank you so much for everything. You know, I'll make my own way back to Manzini, and then I'm just going straight to Mozambique. So really appreciate, you know, best wishes to your wife, all that stuff. So one down, <laughs> one to go. <laughs> so again, I went back to Peter's uh, hotel, and then he's like, oh, I've, I've got a guy for you. I was like, What? He's like a good friend of mine. He's in town on business. And so we're all going to go out tonight to this casino and have dinner. And you can meet him, see what you think. I was like, okay. So did that. And, and Peter even gave me some money to gamble with because they were all like going crazy gambling at blackjack and things like that. So I gambled a little bit with Peter's money. Saved some too. <laughs> I needed it. <laughs> but yeah, we had this like all you can eat really, really fancy buffet it was like all the seafood you could imagine and all my drinks were covered. And this guy was actually all right. He was called Paul and he was a sales manager for Mercedes. So I guess that's where Peter got his car. <laughs> so, you know, he was tall, dark and handsome. Yeah, we had a blast. Obviously got really, really drunk. And then I did end up staying at Paul's house that night. Didn't sleep with them, but we did get, you know, had some snogging, some kissing, making out sessions. And uh, then I just just went to sleep, basically. But I got woken up in the morning by the maid bringing me a cup of tea <laughs> in the morning, which was weird. I was because my uncle had a maid too, like a housemaid, and I, I always found it really, really awkward because I didn't really want them to do anything for me, but even though that's their job, and I don't know, it's just weird. If I ever got super rich, I might have a house cleaner and a chef, but. <laughs> That's kind of different. I don't know. It was weird for me. Remember, I was like 24. So 
No, he's like, okay, so you can hang out here today if you want. I got to go to work. Yourself at home. If you want to make phone calls, do that. So I was like, oh, okay, awesome. He left and I noticed that the maid had washed my running shoes. <laughs> like, I, I don't even know when. Because <laughs> I went to put them on. They were perfectly clean. I was like, okay, thank you so much. I decided to call Claire, who's my English friend who I'd met in Nairobi. And we traveled together for three months. And I was planning on... Her and I were going to get a house together in Leeds in England once I got there, basically. So I hadn't talked to her for quite a while. So I was like, well, Paul said, help myself. So I called her at work, surprised her, and we ended up talking for about half an hour or so, just filling her in with everything that's been happening and all this stuff. So and still making sure she was up for, you know, sharing a house and all that stuff. So it was all good. Got him a tattoo back to Manzini to Peter's hotel and said goodbye to him because I was like, yeah, I got to get going. He did give me a ride outside of Manzini to get into the highway so I can hitch a ride to the Mozambique border, uh, which I did. So, yeah, so just an awesome basically hitching experience for me. <laughs> and now I was at the Mozambique border and I was like, OK, let's hope I don't get shot. <laughs> but I'm going to leave Mozambique. Till next episode. And now it's time for Tam's Top Tips. Tip number one is about hitching, especially as a solo female traveler. I mean, now that I am in my early 50s, <laughs> 51, yeah, I don't know if I would do it. I don't know. Like, I don't know how things have changed. Although I did try and hitch when I was in Central America last year. So... But I mean, to this extreme, I don't know what, and I'm sure as hell I wouldn't get the attention I got back then, now. <laughs> so with hitching, I would say, listen to your gut, first off, for sure. And I always like to get, if it was pickup trucks, I would get in the back of the pickup, because then I have a bit more of a chance to uh, escape if things go tits up, basically. And also, you might want to look, you know, hitch with families. I mean, I did get picked up a few times with families. This time... It was just all men. I mean, actually, my whole time hitching throughout Africa, it was predominantly men with a few families. Never just a, a lone woman driver. Never. Which was weird. <laughs> that would be the biggest number one thing is listen to your gut and try and get families. But obviously nowadays, you know, you've got your phones and you could do, you know, that when your families can track your phone, find find a friend or whatever it is, find your friend. So that's probably, you know, recommended as well. I didn't have that option. <laughs> I do remember thinking sometimes, like, if anything did happen to me, like, my family doesn't even know what country I'm in. Because <laughs> I didn't call home that often. And, you know, I'd send postcards from every country. But that could, they could take weeks or months to even get home if they make it at all. So I wasn't because... I was trying to keep my par my parents and family in the dark or friends. Like, it was just because we didn't have social media. We didn't have the internet. You know, it's so much easier now. Like, you could literally tell people where you are through Instagram and Facebook and TikTok and stuff like that. So it's much, much easier to keep track of where you are for your, your family and friends. So I would say totally up to you about the hitching thing. But, yeah, listen to your gut. Okay, and tip number two is about things you can do around Nelspruit in South Africa. Number one thing probably is it's very close to Kruger National Park, which is you know, a huge national park in South Africa, probably the, the most well-known. 
So you can be based in Nilsport to do that. And I mean, you're looking anywhere between for a four day budget safari, kind of between eight, you know, seven hundred and fifty to a thousand dollars per person. But that would include everything, food, accommodation. And uh, or five day luxury budget, then that you're looking at like eighteen hundred plus, basically. And this is in American dollars. Because it's also great because it's halfway between Johannesburg and the Mozambique border. So it's a great location. And, and it is really, it's a beautiful area as well. I mean, I didn't do it because A, I didn't have the money. And B, like, but this time I had seen mostly all of the main animals. The only animal I hadn't seen in the wild as well <laughs> was a leopard, which, I mean, they are, you, ha- you hardly see those guys because they sleep all day and they're out at night. So I, but I'd seen all the other animals, which is just amazing. Highly recommend it. I'm not a huge fan of this far. Like, it depends. Some safaris are great, some not so much. Because what happens is people like all these minivans or jeeps or, you know, the safari jeeps, they don't stay on the path. Like, especially in Masemara and Serengeti, brutal. So, you, you know, you'd see a lion trying to chase down an antelope and 50 bloody minivans and jeeps following like going off the roads through the fields or like through the land to chasing the lion chasing the antelope it's just crap and it really affects the animals so you want to stay as kind of in the background as possible right so at least these animals are don't feel like they're in a big zoo because i hate zoos <laughs> like a lot of the main roads like throughout these countries you drive through these parks right for free and I saw a lot of animals that way, too. I only did one safari, and that was in a Gorgor crater, because you have to do a safari to go there, and I'd highly recommend that. That's where I saw almost, like, all the animals except for leopard. And it's absolutely beautiful. It's like a Garden of Eden. So that one I would recommend, and they're very good about staying on the roads and things like that. Anyways, I digress. So other things you can do in Nelspruit is, I mean, there's a big casino there. There is also Blyde River Canyon Nature Reserve. And there's also some like these caves called Somala caves that are 240 million years old. I would have loved to have done that if I knew they existed <laughs> back then, but I didn't. Okay, and now tip number three is for Swaziland or Eswatini. And their local currency is called the Lilangme, but they also accept South African Rand and they're like one for one. So it's roughly around 14 of those or South African rands to one US dollar. And Swaziland or Estwani is, it's like a little lone, like little island in the middle of South Africa and next to Mozambique. And like I said, there's also these mountains on the east side, which are stunning and they're called the Ladombo Mountains. They also have quite a few nature reserves and a national park there as well. So you can check all that out. And I have a feeling that the safaris there in Swaziland will probably be cheaper than South Africa because it's it's smaller and not as many people go there. Okay, I mean, I had an awesome time. You could see how nice people were <laughs> in the area. So really, really lovely. And then my tip for uh, solo female travelers is besides like the charm offense I was under <laughs> the whole time by all my uh, people who picked me up hitchhiking. Not a problem. Felt very, very safe in Swaziland and that part of South Africa I was in. I actually felt safe all through that South Africa. Joburg was maybe the only place that, that has some dodgy areas that I didn't go to. So even there, I felt fine. 
I really, really loved South Africa and Swaziland and Lesotho. So this whole southern part of Africa was amazing. You know, I had some crazy times there. But like I said, now I'm going into Mozambique. I was convinced I was going to be shot because I had so much good luck lately. <laughs> so make sure you turn into the next episode to see if I did or not. Or if my luck changed. Okay, obviously, as usually, you can find more info on my website, readyrosetravel.com. Okay, so until next time, safe travels, one road at a time.